Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Ricky Gervais Show, with me, Ricky Gervais, Stephen Merchant, and a little round-headed buffoon named Carl Pilkington. Oh, right. shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, everybody. This is the Hey Use Guys and All That Show, and uh, with me, Jay, hello, and Brian with a Y. Hello. What are we going to talk about today? Uh, well, according to your notes, we've got a whole bunch of stuff about uh, basically what it means to be an anarchist and uh, how you become an anarchist and uh, the, the big question, you know, who's going to build the roads? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's a debate of the last uh, 200 years. That's what everybody <laughs> likes to use. Like, well, who's going to build the roads, you guys? You guys are somewhere unrealistic. So, uh, well, you know what? Let's start with this. Why don't you go ahead and tell me how you got to this point? Like, let me... I, there's an interesting article that we're going to go ahead and talk about, and that's um, how, like the stages of how you got to where you are. I just had this. Where did I put it? <laughs> oh, shit. It's on top. I'm right in front of me. All right. Uh, so this article, The Five Stages of Becoming an Anarchist. Um, so, like, what... Uh, at what moment did I sort of realize that maybe traditional government wasn't the way I thought things should go? Or... Right. Like, when the seeds of doubt were finally planted. Um, let's see. So, I mean, some backstory, I guess. Because there was a definite transition in what I believed probably around the time I was 19 or 20. Is that is that better? Yeah, a little bit close. It sounds a little more clear. Okay. Um, so, let's see. When I grew up, uh, my family, they weren't, like, very political. And I wasn't really either. But, you know, everybody supports the troops. you got to support the troops. Otherwise, there's nothing. Uh, you're dead to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like, there weren't a lot of family members I had that were in the service. But since I was about five or six, I wanted to join the military. And uh, throughout high school, that kind of became stronger. And uh, I ended up joining the Marine Corps. Um, I loved world history, especially when it came to warfare. Uh, I used to know a lot more than I do now. I've probably forgotten almost all of it by now, unless I saw like a little excerpt that refreshed my memory. But oh, I was all about it. Um, I had to plead with my parents to sign the paperwork uh, to join the Marine Corps because uh, I was 17. I didn't want to wait till I was 18. And my dad was just like, yeah, whatever, do whatever you want. And then my mom was like, absolutely not. I'm not going to do it. So it took like months. <laughs> I might as well just wait until my 18th birthday because it, it had taken so long. And uh, finally got her to sign the paperwork. But her conditions were that I had to join the reserves, go to college, and then try to be an officer. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Whatever I have to do to be a part of it. <laughs> like, I'm all for it. I'll do it all. Uh, so went to boot camp, went to combat training, MOS school, came back, went to my unit um, all the way through. I was all about it. Uh, like, that was sacred to me. You couldn't speak badly about it. Otherwise, like, you'd have the hell come in your way. <laughs> it's all so dumb now that I think about it. But should, it, it, While we're here, you should bring out, uh, sorry to interrupt you, talk about what happened, that incident specifically about the national anthem and how the fucking, like, before a sporting event. Oh, uh, what, what I think now about it? Like, well, how... Yeah, but, like, you know, the idea that if you were to say, why the fuck do we have to do this every time we play baseball? Oh, yeah, I mean, that's my belief now, but... People. Oh, people you are like, I mean? why the fuck wouldn't we do it? We've been doing it forever, but it's like, I mean, why... <laughs> that doesn't answer my question. It's like, why are we doing it? It's some occult shit. It's, like, similar to what I imagine goes on in North oh, yeah. Korea, or... I don't even know who else to 
compare it to, but because that's like the go-to for every single authoritarian regime, I guess. Why um, is it so unpopular to say those kind of things? What do you think that is? Um, I mean, for a lot of people, um, at least the ones that I've said it around, it's been like Marines at my unit, other people that are pretty conservative, um, like people that I go to school with, they don't really care. Or they're like, oh, it's just your typical bullshit. Like you're just trying to stir the pot. Sure. But I'm like, no, honestly, like let's think about it. Like why, why do we do that? And I don't know when it started, what year it started. I don't, I should look more into this, do some more research, but it's like a knee jerk reaction for them to be like, well, like, why are you questioning it? It's just the way it's always been. Like, I mean, saying the Pledge of Allegiance in school or uh, having under God in the Pledge of Allegiance, people freaked out when he tried to, when, I can't even remember when that got removed. And then like, it seemed like right after that happened, we weren't even saying the Pledge of Allegiance in school anymore. So it's like, why the hell does it even matter? Um, but so that was that was a little tangent. But what were we? What was the main? Like your journey through your journey through the Marines okay. and uh, how you got to be where you are now. Your yeah. mom settled. Like she said, you had to join the reserve. Okay. That was like part of her condition. Yeah. So I mean, I did all that. Um, I was at my unit probably for about six months, and then uh, fall semester started. I went to college. I started off uh, as a engineering major because, I mean, I have a lot of people in my family that are engineers, and I was just like, hey, why not? Like, that was the other thing. I didn't even really know what I wanted to do, but everybody in my family's like, you got to fucking go to college. Like, you're worth nothing if you don't go to college. Was basically, like, that's paraphrasing. That's making it very blunt, but that's basically what it seemed like. Um, so I was like, yeah, fuck it. Why not? Um, loved chemistry. I liked, I sort of, I sort of developed more of an appreciation for mathematics as in, as I got older, but I definitely hated it all the way up through high school. But like, yeah, passed through calculus, did a year of chemistry in labs, all that was fine. Um, and then I got to programming, and I was like, I can't do this. Like, I sat down for hours every single you mean, like, day. Like, code? Yeah. And I have no idea how people, like, it's just, like, you'd oh, think yeah, if you, you'd think you read enough books, you listen to enough people explain it, and it just didn't make sense to me. Right. And then I thought, I don't know what I thought engineering would be like, but from everybody else's accounts of it, it was totally different. So I was like, you know what? I don't want to do this. I'll figure something else out. And then, uh, let's see. I loved, I loved where I was at, but it was pretty expensive. I didn't have the money for it. So I transferred campuses, changed my major. I actually was going to be a uh, criminal justice major and was uh, thinking about trying to be a police officer for a while. And then, uh, I don't really remember what made me switch out of that. Cause I wasn't even like thinking like an anarchist at that point. It was just, it didn't seem very, uh, lucrative to me and then uh i remember one of my friends was like I, I had no idea what to do i was still in school still just spending a ton of money on classes and i was like i still don't know what i want to do and one of my friends was like hey try emt school it's really easy and i mean you'll be helping people so i was like yeah fuck it why not so uh, i did that it was uh i wasn't like great at it but i wasn't horrible either i was an average student and it was only a semester. And then I passed that, and all the instructors were like, hey, you should come back next year and uh, do our paramedic program. And I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, it's a lot more work. You make more money, um, a lot more responsibility, but we think you'd be good at it. And so I started doing that. Uh, and then I ended up graduating that and becoming a paramedic. Um, it, it definitely 
feels better, I think, uh, like more helpful to people than I would have been as a police officer. <laughs> uh, but it was probably back when I was, it was when I was still a criminal justice major, I think, was when everything started falling apart. Like you could see the strings that control the system, whatever you want to call it. Um, I had to take a sociology class and I had to take a humanities course. It was just like prerequisites that you have to do no matter what your uh, major was. Sure. And at first I was like, oh, this is bullshit. It's just like busy work, more hoops I have to jump through. But honestly, I think I'm more grateful for those two classes than I was for any other classes that I'd taken up to that point. And maybe even after that, other than the medical ones I had to take. But uh, the humanities class I chose was history of the Middle East, like all the way like from the birth of Mohammed uh, up through like the Ottoman Empire, World War One, um, and then I can't even remember. I mean, yeah, up into modern history, like yeah, post 9/11, uh, the global war on terror, like all that stuff. Sure. Uh, so I, there was this book we had to read, and we had to write an essay on it. I can't even remember what the name of the book is now. I'd have to go back and uh, look at my emails from my professor if I even haven't gone back that far, but. Basically, it uh, broke down why Iran hates us and, like, basically why the whole region over there hates us as Americans, I should clarify, us. Um, and I'll do my best to summarize everything the way I read it. And uh, I remember it started off after World War II, I want to say. The British had just converted their navy from... Uh, coal-burning steamships to uh, petroleum-based fuels. And, I mean, Iran had a lot of oil as a natural resource, and they were shipping a lot of that out to other countries and making money. But it wasn't like the actual people of Iran were really benefiting from that at all. So Iran wanted to privatize its oil industry, and they wanted to boot the British out because they had a lot of influence there. And the British were like, well, shit, if we lose our influence there, we lose all of this oil. And it's like, we just fucking converted our Navy. It's like, what are we going to do? We need you know what we're going to (laughs) do. I learned. Uh, They're like, we really need this oil. So they originally came to the United States. This was back before the CIA was even a thing. This was when there was still the OSS. And... uh, they came to America and were basically like, hey, we're allies. Help us out. Help us keep our oil interests in Iran. And they were like, we don't give a fuck about that. Like, why would we do that? And then they took a little bit of time and they came back and they were like, hey, um, if you look on a map, Iran's whole northern border is with Russia. And we know you really hate communism. And it would be really unfortunate if we got booted out of there because the next people to influence Iran would likely be the Russians. And with them would come communism. How tragic. Yeah, exactly. So that scared the shit out of America. And uh, they sent... I I can't remember if this is right when the CIA was started. Like, this would have been their first mission, basically. They were going to go in, overthrow the democratically elected Shah in Iran, and then basically keep the British in there. They could have their oil, and then we would instate whoever the hell we picked to be their leader, so that way we could keep relations with them cool. And the funny thing is, I mean, it didn't work right away. Um, I remember reading the book. It didn't work right off the bat. The whole thing was almost a failure, if I remember correctly. But, I mean, obviously it worked (laughs) at some point because here we are today. Um, But it's like everybody in Iran knows that we did that. 
but I don't know many people in America, myself included, up until at the point I took this class. I don't know many people that knew that we did that. They were just, like, raised up through school, at least people my age were. It was just like, yeah, that portion of the world just always kind of disagreed with us. They just have totally different values. Um, and then 9-11 happened, and it's like we had every reason we ever needed to be at war with them or at least not trust that whole area. Uh, and, I mean, that's like I was, I think, five or six. Let's see. No, I would have been. I was in kindergarten um, when 9-11 happened, and it was like we already only had, like, half days for school because, I mean, it's kindergarten. Like, what do you, it's basically daycare. Um, and I remember going home after class, and it was, I don't know what time of day it was, but my mom was watching the news on TV, and she was just sobbing. And, like, it was just, at this point, it would have just been replays of the towers falling and, like, people running all over the place, just complete chaos. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, obviously, at the time, I had no idea what was going on, but, like, it wasn't good. Um, and so, after that, I know a bunch of older people, uh, well, they were older than me at the time, obviously. They were all joined the military. It was like, we got to go, uh, rally around the flag, blind patriotism, basically. And uh, we got to go the fuck up whoever did this to us because it's like Pearl Harbor times a million right now. Um, like, same kind of th- uh, same kind of thing, though, honestly. It got us involved in a conflict. Um, it was a little different. But that kind of carried me through that's kind of what got me interested in the military was I knew so many older people that have done it and then uh, I already I, I was obsessed with World War II growing up and like then once I was older uh, I started playing Call of Duty and I mean that was just fun but it's like there's bits of like actual history in there granted they're stretched <laughs> completely but it's no, but like do, it's based it's on real like events an introduction. Yeah. so like that was an interesting way to like fuel that craving for knowledge so I was always like yeah like I mean, guns are really cool. <laughs> I was always fascinated with uh, the kind of evolution of weaponry into what we now have today. And then, uh, like, camouflage. Um, like, I was one of those kids that would wear, like, camouflage to school occasionally, and everybody's like, what the fuck's that I can do? Like, military surplus <laughs> military surplus gear was really awesome. My yeah. uncle would always take me to uh, a store in his town that isn't even open anymore, but we'd always buy, like, military surplus shit and, like, old deactivated grenades and stuff. Like, I just thought it was the coolest shit ever, and I was like, I can't wait to, like, actually fuck with this stuff in real life. Yeah, sure. And uh, to me, it wasn't even about, like, killing anybody or anything. I was like, I understood that that might have to happen, but it's like, if that's going to keep people back home safe or, like, keep freedom <laughs> and everything in balance, sure. like, then so be it, I guess. Better better them than me. But, uh, yeah, that wasn't really any of the motivation for it. And, like, yeah, my mom was against it the whole time. She's like, oh, it's just a phase. It'll blow over. But it just got stronger. And then, like, yeah, my dad was like, do whatever the fuck you want. It's your life. Um, so, at this point, when I read that story, I was probably uh, maybe two years into my contract or three years into my contract and uh, I still had three years at least left at that point and I was just like holy shit like so you're telling me and I mean okay so after the whole Iran thing um, then there was uh, let's see Russia's interventions in Afghanistan and how we were running guns to the Mujahideen and then they later used like our, our own stinger missiles against us in future conflicts and it all became a mess and then there was Bin Laden and the Taliban and then 
everything just spiraled out of control. I, I need to learn more about that whole uh, point in time. I used to know a lot more about it, but I haven't had a reason to talk about it really, sure. other than you. Um, and then 9-11, and I'm like, wow, all this makes much more sense. Because like, to me as a kid, it was just like we were out minding our own fucking business. And then, bam, all of a sudden towers are falling, people are dying. And it's like, yeah, that was just a sucker punch. Like, what the fuck? Why would they do that? We have to do it. We can't just leave that. We can't let it go unanswered. But then in the grand scheme of things, I'm like, all right. So, like, we're not the good guys that we paint ourselves out to be. Everybody wants to think of us as the good guys, though, because, I mean, you can sleep at night. It's not going to It's not going to be running around in your brain constantly. Oh, yeah. 100%. It's a lot easier. And uh, so I was like, holy shit, like some of the biggest reasons I wanted to join the military when I was younger and like even up to this point in my life are I mean they're not necessarily outright lies but at the very least it's withholding of the truth or like you don't have access to all the information right and then the more I started looking looking into it I was like holy shit like there are so many people that joined just like I did and it's like they don't know this stuff it's like we never had a chance like so much money gets spent on recruiting by all these branches every year and they get you right at that age where it's like you can go out and do anything and they'll promise you the signing bonuses you'll get to travel and see the world you get like all this lucrative shit and you're like holy fuck yeah I'd be stupid not to do this sure and uh, yeah none of us had a chance and it's like a lot of people don't I mean, don't know about all of the stuff that I had just read about in that one class. I was like, fuck, like, if we all had to take a humanities class in order to join the military, I'm sure a lot, <laughs> a lot fewer people would have done that, what they there did. There is a good possibility that might but, have happened. Yeah, sure. And I think that's the other thing uh, that's so lucrative is, like, yeah, if you join the military and do an active duty contract, you'll get free school. Yeah. It's, like, this way to access education, but you go, you have to go fight in the Thunderdome for a little bit <laughs> to earn that, and it's, like... I mean, it's uh, it's not like it used to be, like in World War II or Vietnam, where it's like significant numbers of people are dying. But it's like, yeah, you can enlist in order to go to school and still end up dying before you get to redeem any of that. I mean, sure. statistically, it's less likely, but it's still a possibility. And it's it's, it's like, a very real possibility. I mean, a remote one, remote and real. But still, like more so than any normal person back home, just right. like trying to go to college. That's right. Um, so yeah, it's kind of weird how they get you with that, because it's like these people that probably otherwise would have no way to pay for it on their own they're like fuck i want to learn something but it's yeah. like I, even if they don't necessarily like i was i trained with a few people that were like yeah i don't even really care about the military but i'm not going to go to college any other way and i got big dreams and i was like at first i was like well hey fuck you like you're not in on the cause like why, why would i trust you to have my back if we're in a fight if you're just here for college but then i'm like you know what honestly they had a point like how, how else would they get it? Like, win the lottery. <laughs> like, get, get some crazy scholarships or something. Sure. And uh, so I've definitely changed the way I think about all that. But it do, they do prey on the, uh, the financially less fortunate because it kind of, I don't want to say levels the playing field for them, but it helps give them access to something they otherwise wouldn't have had. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just kind of a shitty way of doing it because you have, you may have to risk your life for it. This is um, true, yeah. So uh, so there, that, that was probably right there. It's like the, <laughs> the Matrix. It's like I'm aware of it. And I mean, uh, I can't remember exactly. I can't remember if this was before. 
know, this was after, I think, my first psychedelic drug experience. And uh, that, <laughs> that definitely knocked something loose as well. And then the subsequent ones after that. Um, I mean, even just weed, like, made me think about things in ways that otherwise I would not have. Um, oh, yeah, I'm sure it has an impact. And it's like, I mean, in high school, I smoked a little bit. But it's like I had friends that were smoking all the time. And they were like, oh, come on, man. Just, like, come hang out with us. It's fun. Like, why not? And I was like, oh, I got to join the military. And I can't fucking smoke. And I'm like, I could get tested at any point. And they're like, all right, chill. We fucking got it. Like, nerd, whatever. <laughs> but, like, the first time. I mean, I wish I could, like, go back and uh, just enjoy <laughs> being a teenager again. Because uh, I definitely didn't get the full experience I could have. And I still could have done all the shit that I've done at this point if I had maybe enjoyed myself sure. a little more. And it's like, I'm not just, I'm not, like, I'm not going to say I haven't had any valuable experience from the military. I've gotten to travel the world. I have good training. Um, I mean, albeit very basic, like there's definitely people that with much higher levels of training out there, but like, and there's like, I've had many opportunities to further my training and uh, I've met some of the greatest people I've ever met in my life there. So it's like, there is something to be said for all of that. The camaraderie is real. And uh, like, even at a reserve unit, like people shit on reservists all the time. And it's like, I mean, honestly, I get it. Like we get to go home, <laughs> we get to do whatever the fuck we want relative to our active duty counterparts. But I mean, that's, ah, that's whatever. Um, I can see why they don't like working with us. Um, but at the same time, it's like, hey, man, we're just here to go to work the same as you. We just don't do it as often. <laughs> we're probably not as good at our jobs as you guys are. But whatever. Um, so, yeah, so that was, like, the big kicking point. And I was just like, what do, what do I do with this information? Like... I mean, you, you're, you know all this stuff now, and you're like, well, what else was I lied to about or misled about? And it's like you start looking around, and it's like a lot of it's like conspiracy theories, but there's a lot of other shit that's like totally legitimate because it's like, uh, I mean, one of the... I'm trying to think of some of the other good examples. Um, oh, fuck. I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, but if I can think of more, I will come back to that. But it's like... Uh, Okay, what about, like, the CIA running cocaine to the inner cities? And then, I mean, shit, I used to know more about the whole Iran-Contra scandal and, like, running guns and... Yeah, and then there were Sandinistas involved. Yeah, like... And then there was, uh, was a Barry Seal... Uh, and then Ollie North. Yeah. And They're like, what was that movie, American, American Made, that was with uh, the uh, Scientologist whack job? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. <laughs> I was going to say it's played Barry Seal. <laughs> and how he was arrested by three different branches of law enforcement. Uh, I believe it was the DEA, the FBI, and then the locals. And uh, the prosecutor gets a phone call from Governor William Jefferson Clinton. Okay. And uh, they literally had to let him walk out of the building. Because Governor Clinton was, you know, in on the whole scheme. Oh, fuck. It, it, uh, the, the rabbit hole goes deep, and none of that stuff is conspiracy talk. I mean, that's the thing that pisses me off. But that's the thing. Mean, people label it as conspiracy oh, talk. for sure. Because it's definitely alternative to what they try right. to but it's spin. A, it's, it's an effort to dismiss it. I oh, would yeah. Argue. It's, you get labeled... Um, it gets labeled as fringe kind of stuff, and you're out there with all the other crazies that believe, like, batshit crazy stuff. But, like, you know there's a difference, but it's, like, to the general public, you don't really... It's the same with the whole uh, the, the whole ice cream party thing right now that's going on, you know, that, I don't know... Could oh, the ice cream social? Yeah, the, the ice cream social, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, no, 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 that's it. fine. And by the way, we have to uh, give a shout-out to the fag cast. That's Friends Against Government, the <laughs> against homosexuals. F-A-G cast, uh, fag cast, Friends Against Government. 
Verticus uh, is the one who said that we're going to start calling it the Ice Cream Social, I believe. So, yeah, we're going to carry on that legacy, the Ice Cream Social. Yeah, I did my best. Sorry, I called it a party. Oh, that's okay. Um, there, will, there will be partying involved, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> but... I mean, they're trying to label that as hate speech now, they being the government. And they're saying that uh, it's like a lot of white supremacist people, and they're talking about attacking minorities, and like they, they throw anarchy in there, but it's like the, the bad connotation of anarchy, not what anarchy actually Chaos is. In the oh, yeah. yeah. But it's like nowhere have I seen anyone threaten to punish a minority unless that minority was the government, because they would be the minority in this case. Because we vastly outnumbered yeah, them. That's well said. But, uh, so that's just them trying to take the narrative and make, I guess, the layperson scared of it because it could be a threat to them and then not just the systems at the top that have been oppressing us for sure. longer than we've been alive. And then that comes in, oh, the, the sociology thing that I wanted to talk about. Uh, I kind of touched on it with the military, just like we didn't have a chance. It's the whole agency versus structure of yeah. life. And it's like these organizations have been around forever. And it's like, even if it wasn't the United States government or the United States military, there have still been plenty of governments and plenty of militaries that, like, have inspired what we do. And they've had centuries and centuries to refine their craft. And it's like, I've been alive for... 23 years. It's like, I don't know shit. <laughs> I didn't know shit at 17 when I signed the paperwork. I know maybe a little bit more now, but it's like, there's no way, like, they've had so much time to prepare. Well, just think about it from, you know, you're the, you're, you brought up, uh, you know, when you're 17, you tried to join when you were 17, and this is a story that we hear at least recounted through the modern era. I mean, both you and I are, are very uh, big fans. I, I don't want to call fans, but I guess maybe amateur scholars of the Great War, the First World War. And how many kids were 16? Yeah, lying about their age because right. they wanted to go fight. They would go to their, because at the time, the local parishes and the churches were the ones who held their birth certificates. Yeah. They would, they would, go, they would break into the church and forge documents so that they would be eligible to go over to France and fight in the Great War. I mean, these are children. There's, there's yeah. no debate about it. These are little kids. They have no idea. No, but and I can't speak to what the British uh, public education system is. I, I can't imagine it's any different than what we have here. I mean, they, they, maybe they sing God Save the Queen, the Pledge of Allegiance to the Queen instead of their unwritten constitution. But think about 15,000 hours of public education where from minute one, it's so funny how you brought up, like, Talking about how the, the singing the national anthem and standing up and all this other stuff and and if you were to say that you know oh you know this is not very different than what some very authoritarian states do where it's it's you are compelled to show your patriotism and, and, yeah. and if you, those who don't show enough are questionable patriots yeah. and. You know, the funny thing is, is after, you know, from the minute they get you when you're a child, and even in, in private school, I can imagine that there, of course, there's recruiters that are that have access to the kids in a private institution, because this is the state we're talking about. There's not, you're not going to be able to put up firewalls to protect you. Maybe at a charter school where it's specifically stated, or even a private uh, parochial school where it's specifically the policy of the school, you are not allowed to come here and recruit. That's right. But then again, the individual who tries to implement that is going to be questioned by everybody else who didn't grow up in, uh, in a private school or grow up in a, in a revolutionary household, let's say. Right. Okay, to say question authority and don't just bend your Need. You yeah. have to look around. And here's the thing: fifteen thousand hours. I didn't of even know it was that much. I think that that's what Pete Raymond says on his podcast: is about fifteen thousand hours of public education, where 
you know, one of the first things that you learn is how to, you know, the words to the Pledge of Allegiance. Mm-hmm. Then you have to learn, you know, Francis Scott Key's Star Spangled Banner, all of these things. And, you know, it's Flag Day and everybody would come out. Oh, yeah. And I'm not equating what we do to the level of authoritarianism that's in North Korea. Because no. That's, that's perfect George Orwell 1984. Yeah, that's a lot right? more... It's a lot more out there. There's no nuance to it at all. No, and even though all of all of the citizens, as far like Michael Malice went over there, and he says everybody is in on it. They know that that you know the fucking that the dear leader can't shit gold bricks oh, yeah. or isn't in charge of the weather. But what are you going to do about it? You can't do anything about it. Furthermore, how are you supposed to fight a revolution without several very key items? Food. It's very hard to fight when you're hungry. Mm-hmm. And secondly, weapons. It's very hard to fight when you have no access yeah. to those weapons. I mean, shit, they don't even have the internet over there, right? It's like their own intranet where yeah, they I think control it's an everything. Yeah. Now, they sneak phones. It, it, some wild stuff happens because oh, people go it. up to the border on China's side yeah. and use South Korean uh, cell phones and, and smuggle USB sticks with, like, crappy K-pop music and uh, South Korean, uh, uh, like, um... Well, like the equivalent of what we had here, with soap operas and stuff like that, yeah. so that people can see what the outside world looks like. Yeah, I can't even imagine. No, no, we can't imagine. But there's something to be said about why rec- a recruiter is not going to have the same pull with somebody who is 25 or 30 or my age, where you're, I mean, not just because I'm out of shape and I can't run, but you're, you're really going to convince me to go over there. Yeah, it's going to be a lot harder. It's going to be a lot harder, and, and you can be single. You don't have to have kids. I mean, not all wars are fought uh, by bachelors. I mean, it's a, it's a fine mix of different people. Oh, yeah. Plenty of career individuals who fight in the military, but when you're an adult and you have a sense of your own mortality and there isn't the glory pumping anymore, you've started to do your own research, or at least you've been around long enough to say, I'm going to start questioning the motives of the state and why they're sending oh, yeah. our kids to go over there. Yeah. And a lot, you know what changed, you know what changed a lot? See, I, mean, I, I didn't have a similar trajectory that you did. When I was, um, I was a member of the Young Socialist League when I was a kid. Okay. Uh, and then I became a full member of the Socialist Party USA, SPUSA. They gave you a little red card and it had the Workers of the World Unite logo on it. And so it was very legit. And yeah. They gave you a party. I wish I still had that card. Um, but unfortunately, I don't. That was... <laughs> 19 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, what developed for me was I went from that and then I was working uh, I was working part-time and going to school full-time pursuing my undergraduate. And I would get upset at seeing how much money be taken out of my paycheck and going to people, not necessarily the proletariat that needed it, right. but you hear and see stories. Well, you hear stories and see or you know activity that just goes to show that a lot of people are driving nicer cars than you are and doing far better than you are when you're riding the struggle bus mm-hmm. and they're not doing anything. Meanwhile, the people who are the proletariat, who are the working class, are literally having to slug it out. Okay, so you begin to question the programming, and of course, when you're when I'm a kid, when I was always I was always a rebel. I always wanted, and my my father used to make fun of me. He was like, you know, yeah, those ideas are great on paper, but all ideas are that are on paper. Are really very few function when they're put to the test, and you know, and I think that that was fair. Yeah. And then so as I got older and I, I got married the, uh, the first time and I had a child, and then when I became a single parent, I was very conservative. I was very Republican with a capital R. 
you know, I voted Republican straight ticket. I was very, you know, conservative. I was like, no, we need to limit the size of the government. And, uh, you know, these Democrats are very socialist. And, you know, as and then I moved to the next stage where I just became a conservative, where I'm like, no, the Republicans are kind of like Democrat light. They, they like to spend money. Yeah. Just not on the things. Just on what they want. Yeah. And vice versa, right? Oh, yeah. Of course, they're a little bit more for gun rights in some cases, but not to the extent that. But it's bundled like I cable. Know. It's not everything that you want. Like, you can only, it's not like you can pick and choose. It's like, right. no, you've got and this. And everything else with it. Like, right. you don't get to pick one. Exactly. So I, I journeyed from that, and I became, I became a member of the Libertarian Party. In fact, I still have my party card upstairs. Um, and then, you know, the, 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 the phrase is, and I've talked about this before on the podcast that I used to host uh, before with someone else. Uh, Michael Malice once again says, you know, when asked, you know, how does one become an anarchist? It's uh, gradually. And then very quickly. Yeah, I don't think it happened. It didn't take that long for me. I mean, let's see, like start to start to now. I guess it's been shit a couple of years. But like it was, like I said, I already uh, I had the whole humanities class eye opening, and then uh, the psychedelic experiences definitely had me for like out of nowhere. Like I don't really know how it happens, but it's just like all of a sudden, like, you trip balls, and then you're just like, why is everything the way it is? Like, you don't even really have this uh, attachment to your own ego, and you're just like, why do I do the things sure. that I do? And then it kind of, I guess, just branches out from there, and I'm like, why Why have I been living this way? Why are other people living this way? And sure. why is everything the way that it is now? And why is it so weird to other people when someone questions it? And I mean, like you said, like the schools get a hold of you and it's just basically everything short of beaten into you that uh, there's a time and place for everything. There's people that are in charge of you for a reason and you have to listen to those people. Um, and I mean, you said you were a rebel growing up. I wasn't really even that much of a rebel growing up. Like, I mean, I did what my parents said for the most part. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I might have gotten grounded a couple times, but it wasn't even like fucking actual grounding. It was like just, <laughs> just dumb shit. Lightweight. Yeah, like, I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't really think, like, I guess a lot of my teachers in high school and, like, people that had to deal with me in high school would say I was a pretty big shithead by the time I got into high school. <laughs> but uh, it was just, like, I mean, stuff that I found funny wasn't really uh, kosher with everybody else, sure. I guess. And at first it was like you try to hide it or whatever and keep everybody happy, but then I was like, eh, fuck it, who cares? Um, and then it was like I hung out with, uh, like, oh, man, I swam for like 16 years competitively. And I mean, in high school, it's like the swim team. It was just a bunch of fucking degenerates. Like, I, it's so weird. Like, you wouldn't expect it, but it's sure. like yeah, no, yeah, every single one of them was just like fucking insane, but like in a good way. Like, it wasn't anything bad, but <laughs> like, um, I think it's got to be something like you spend so much time with your head underwater you're not able to talk to anybody else it's just you <laughs> with your own thoughts in there and it's like after a while it just starts to go to some pretty crazy places oh, and then sure. it's like you put a bunch of those guys all together for like I mean fuck the season was like four months and we spent damn near every single day together at least like three hours a day just or maybe even longer like if it was a meet or something or driving somewhere because we went all over the state um, yeah a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of crazy shit happens and like we got in trouble constantly and then I'd say probably from there uh, it kind of just escalated and then but I mean at the same time it wasn't that crazy because it's like I still joined the military I was still taking orders from people it's like there was a, there was a line I draw I guess that it's like you can't pass it and now it's like 
I mean, I guess it's always kind of there. But I think so, yeah. But now it's, uh, I give myself some more leeway. And it's like, I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> like, I don't know how long I'll be around. I don't want to regret anything. It's like, I, I don't want to do anything stupid. It's not like I'm going to be like, oh, I've never tried heroin before. Like, let's try that one because who knows. But, like, uh, more positive risk kind of stuff. But... I also don't like censoring myself, and I think censorship in and of itself is uh, pretty shitty. Like, I mean, probably the first time uh, I really noticed how different everything was in America was I went to Japan and I went to Norway, and both of those places are they just treat everything diff- differently. I'd say Norway though probably was the more radical <laughs> in the eyes of an American. Like, we, I walked into a gas station over there and. Uh, they had just like straight up full nudity porn magazines just chilling like right on the counter like for everyone to see and I was like holy shit like cause it's so crazy cause like so much of it looks like it's not that foreign like I mean the people for the most part look the same as in America or at least where I live in America and I mean the language is different so you definitely notice that but it's like the land like you got the same kind of landscape as places in America that I've seen like your road signs look a little bit different but I mean they still drive on the right side of the road everything's still the cities are set up pretty much the same way but yeah you walk into a gas station it's like bam porn you're just like holy shit like what the fuck like does everybody else fucking see that (laughs) I'm like everybody else fucking see that and then it was like uh, and like other shit that's like so out like just open for Americans it's like the opposite way for them it was like uh, cigarettes especially it was probably the biggest one because in America they got fucking billboards for cigarettes everywhere you got you, they're displayed behind the counter at any gas station the attendant can walk oh, up yeah. to a literal wall of cigarettes and pick your poison from it Very um, so, yeah. but over there they don't have any advertising for it you have to go to the store know what you want or it's like if you do want to see some advertisements they have to like pull it out from behind the counter and like show you what they have Interesting. and then you pay for it they give you a receipt and then you go to like a vending machine that has like no markings on it no advertisements no anything at all you slip that receipt in there and then it dispenses your cigarettes or your dip or whatever tobacco product you want and then there's warnings all over it and it's like it's crazy it's the complete opposite of what we do here and I was just like holy shit like this is so wild and then on top of that there's like a sin tax for everything or I mean well shit everything was taxed to fuck over there but like a pint of beer was like $14 and I mean we were drinking beer that was brewed in that city in Norway that we were in that was the cheapest beer there was and I mean we got drunk like I spent I spent basically all the money I made over there in Norway I came home with basically nothing but I mean we had experience we had an experience. Yeah, yeah, no, so, I get it. But yeah, um, I can't fuck. I keep forgetting like how we start talking about stuff. Like we get off on the table. Oh yeah, no, the ra- it's very hard to keep a, a, to keep on task. But I mean, that's not a bad thing. But um, but yeah, it, it, traveling definitely changes. Like I, I've been to Ireland three times. I've been to uh, I've been to England. I've been to France, and of course. Uh, a fair amount of the United States, Canada. I've been to Hawaii and I lived in Mexico yeah, for that's right. a year. So it definitely changes your perspective. I mean, you're not in your own little town. You're not inside your own county. Yeah, you know, it's good to broaden the horizon. Oh yeah, it's always good to broaden oh. your palate. Um, I think another thing with that is like you go out and if you go to places like if you go to like third world countries or I mean. I guess even if you go to more developed, like, first world countries and you see how they live, and it's like, 
their versions of freedom are different from what we have here. And then that's everybody's big argument. They're like, well, if you don't fucking like what we're doing here, why don't you go somewhere else? Because that's the that's the catch-all for everything. Somalia. But, like, that's... We shouldn't be just using every other country as a barometer for what we should be doing. Because no, it's like, if we're supposed we to be the best country on Earth, why the fuck aren't we trying to be leaps and bounds ahead of these other people? And that's not really... The, like, we keep using other places as justification. Be like, hey, it's definitely not as shitty here as it is over right. there. And it's like, we shouldn't be using levels of shittiness no, <laughs> to worry what's you, going on. Definitely. Um, so that's another thing that made me think of. So traveling, uh, psychedelics, and just reading, honestly, reading. are the big things. Oh, like yeah. Access to higher education definitely uh, kind of brought me to where I am now. That's excellent. And I think that might be the other reason why school is so fucking expensive now. Because, I mean, you're taking people's access to it and putting it farther over their heads. And then, even if they do through grants, scholarships, but especially loans. Loans are the big thing now. My family was like, yeah, fucking go to college. Everybody takes out loans. Everybody's in some level of debt. Like, you'll be just like everybody else. There's no shame in it. But, I mean, I learned all this stuff. But now, I mean, I'm not even done with school. I don't even have a bachelor's degree, and I've, <laughs> I fucking did, like, four years of school. I mean, I changed my majors a couple of times. Um, but it's like, I'm going to have to go back if I want to make better money. But that means I'm going to have to go further into debt. And so it's like, yeah, I may have learned all this stuff in school, but now I am uh, saddled with this debt, and I'm going to have to go to work every single day and start paying it off. And I mean, I'd have to work every day regardless, but I'm going to have to work harder now and more often. And it's hard for people, even if they are informed, to organize and fight against something because they're going to be tired of shit from working to the bone every fucking day for however many years until you get to retire, if you do get to retire. So it's like, even if you have a population that knows all this shit is happening, and I'd say probably the best example would be like the whole Epstein didn't kill himself thing. It's like, everybody yeah, says it. One. That's one everybody knows. But what is being done about it? Oh, fuck all. Nothing. Because it's like, nobody wants to take the time to do anything about it because they all have their own shit going on. And half of them are in fucking debt from school, probably. And they're like, well, fuck. I mean, if only I could like risk taking some time off work or if sure. like work wasn't a life or death thing for me uh, or like life or starving <laughs> kind of thing for me so like I don't know how legitimate that is but I mean I feel like it's hard you can't just ignore that point I think that that's fair and I think that people are so busy trying to take care of themselves and how difficult that it it can be to do that especially if you quantify your problems with children I don't want to call it a problem, but you understand what I'm saying. I mean, it's definitely much harder, and that's well, like... Most certainly, I, because you're, the, you're now responsible for more than just yourself. Yeah, by your I can hardly take care of my fucking self. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it, man. I, I, it's. Uh, what do you think about Vermin? About Vermin Supreme? I mean, I... Oh, man, the first time I ever heard anything from him, I was probably a junior or senior in high school, and one of my friends showed it to me, and I was like, oh, this is hilarious. Like, I just thought it was like a, a bit, like Borat or something, like not a legitimate person running for office, and they're like, no, this is all very real. Like, this guy's been doing it for years. He keeps doing it, shows up, boot on the head, just spouting outrageous shit. And 
was like, well, that's totally crazy. Like, that's so, how does this have anything to do with what's going on? But now I'm like, honestly, like, yes, it does, uh, I guess, through the lens of what the way we see politics and the way we were raised to see politics, all of this sounds batshit crazy. But if you look at it objectively, what he's doing sometimes isn't any more ridiculous than the people that are actively in power right now and the policies that they are running. And I feel like not a lot of people get that, and not a lot of people get that it's satire. Well, I just want to say it was the follow of my life because he followed me. Yeah, I saw that. And I was I was really happy about that. I, I, I tweet him like crazy, and it's not just dick riding. The guy, okay, you take away the uh, the mandatory pony, and uh, that's your federal ID, yeah. and uh, mandatory teeth brushing, which I don't have a problem with dental hygiene uh, because gingivitis has been eating at the level of the core of our society or something that like. Morally and orally. <laughs> but if you look at his policies, like he has really tried to um, get, a, 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 he has the biggest tent out of everybody, and he's using the libertarian platform because, unfortunately, the libertarians, I don't know if you want to call it the closest to ideologically to what maybe you or I believe in, which is, I mean, they are minarchists, which is, it's cute. Once once you wave the black flag, you look at minarchists and you're like, you still don't get it because right. you still have fucking cops. But I mean, nobody's going to be policy. nobody's going to be able to campaign as an anarchist and win an election. At least well, not right now. It's against the principles of the of the very philosophy. Right, you'd have like, to I dismantle mean, the entire system. Right, exactly. So I guess libertarianism would be the closest thing we have. Oh yeah. As uh, but what he's doing is brilliant because he's calling out. He's like, you know, you guys call me a joke. The joke is you've been voting for the same two jokers. You know, forever. Yeah. You know, when's the last time we had a legitimate third party? Was the Republicans were a legitimate third party when the Whigs and the Democrats were around? Yeah. This is pre-Civil War. So it's been a while. So the same two dickheads have been trading places and fucking the people. And it's like it's two sides of the same coin. It's like they they polarize it as much as they can, but honestly, they're not that different in the way they operate. At least. Oh, I mean, not at all. I agree completely, I, and I can I find them to be all equally corrupt. The funny thing is, is when. It becomes a sport. It be- politics becomes a spectator sport where you're rooting for the red team, where you're rooting for the blue team. Because I remember very vividly uh, people defending Obama's foreign policy of drone striking people. Uh, one of them being Anwar Alalaki, who was an American citizen who wasn't afforded uh, that what's on that written on that piece of paper, which is as useless as the day is long when it comes to the state and what it wants to do. Unfortunately. Once again, this is another idea that literally is great on paper and in practice fails. Like Alexander Spooner is the one who said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing again, the Constitution is responsible for the government that we have now, which makes it, uh, you know, which renders it useless, or it was powerless to stop the government that we have. Therefore, it's unfit. Okay, and I think that there's a lot of legitimacy to that. But what Vermin does, if you look at his policies, first of all, he he is a self-confessed rainbow anarchist. He gets along with anarcho-communists, with the agorists, with the ANCAPs, with the syndicalists, with the whole with the whole cornucopia. Because yeah. a lot of misconceptions about the philosophy is that we have a single um, philosophical view of the world. Now, of course, the oldest ones are of course the they were first. They were the first ones to come around. They were they were trying to balance uh, the destruction of the authoritarian state with individual freedom. Now I know when you hear communism, it not it, it does not it's not synonymous 
with individual liberty. I understand what they're trying to pull off. I, I'm not trying to be critical of them. It's not an economic system I would ever want to live under. Yeah. But once again, everybody has this this, this idea that we have to pick one flavor, right? Like the whole world is going to be either ANCOMs or syndicalists or capitalists. And Vermin used the language that the Liberty Train has many stops. You can get off wherever you want to. Yeah, as long as you're not imposing your will on someone else, you can do whatever you want. It's a element of coercion that we can't, you know, and the thing is, is, you know, people derided him because he's a, I have no problem with people who uh, who are ANCAPs. Well, well, you know, capitalism is is exploited by nature. And he said, listen, you don't have a right to impose what you want to do on someone else. Yeah, just leave them alone. Let them do their shit as long as they're not trying to impose their shit on you. It's like we can have separate spheres. Oh, yeah, we can trade with each other. I mean, I I don't have a problem. When we see anarcho-communists, here's the thing. Am I sure I'm seeing an anarcho-communist in the Kropotkin vein or the Bakunin vein or a syndicalist in a Malatesta vein or even Emma Goldman or Alexander Berkman, all of these great anarchists from the past who are hard left? Am I seeing that or am I seeing a Marxist who is masquerading? Because I see a lot of people, like, for example, when Trump was running for office the first time and the, quote, anarchists showed up with black and red flags and some of them had hammers and sickles on them. That's a Soviet flag, and I don't need to go into the history too deeply, but this, the, the Red Army used the Black Army, which was headed by uh, Nestor Makhno in Ukraine, and Nestor Makhno used his anarchist army to help defeat the White Russians, which were the Tsarist forces, and, and the Bolsheviks were allied to him once that was completed. Where do you think all of those anarchists ended up? They ended up making fucking snow cones in Siberia or pushing up daisies someplace. Oh, yeah. Because there's no negotiating. Because any, that's a problem I have with Marx. If you want to live in a community that goes by Marx's principles, as in the economic side of it, where there's no private property, the means of production are owned by the, by the proletariat, and I use that in air quotes, no, that's fine. You can do that. But... Let's not forget that uh, that Carl has the dictatorship of the proletariat. That is even I, you hear that word that should be ringing alarm bells all over the place. A dictatorship of any kind isn't healthy for anybody. Right. I don't think it is anywhere. <laughs> and I think it's been demonstrated. That certainly history. hasn't worked out anywhere. No, it hasn't. It has <laughs> At least not in the favor of right. the people. And, and what Vermin's been doing is he's been bringing a large group of people together under this banner and his idea is I want to run for office I'm going to be president I'm going to abolish the state now great now I understand I use the, the state to kill the state it's very, very low I have no intentions of voting for anybody um, I've donated to his campaign I've bought his merch I'm a huge fan of oh, yeah. him because he is a real committed ideologically ideologically philosophically he probably has the best chance now that he's ever had. Oh, the, I agree. The, way, the I traction mean, is, is, is unbelievable. You know what I mean? And, and it's like if it keeps this trend up, it's like even if he didn't make it this time. Right. It's like there's going to be, unless the state falls, there's going to be other elections. Oh, yeah. And so. well, one can hope anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I think that Vermin is uh, doing a great service to those of us in the liberty movement and uh, in the anarchist community that uh, they bring together people who have some of these ideas that differ greatly in many areas, but I think what his point was, and I retweeted him, when I said that we all have a lot in common with each other, even the anarcho-communist and someone like me who is a self-confessed anarchist without an adjective, I don't have one. I'm more of an agorist, I'm a counter-economics person, I'm a black market guy. 
Okay. You know, I don't. I'm not a fan of. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a free market anarchist. Let's put it that way. I believe in the market. Now, there's some mutualists good. that are cool with that. And the communists, really not so much. You know, and cap sure, they're okay with it. Um, we have a common enemy though, and it's the state. Okay. It's also authoritarianism. It's coercion. Yeah. Right, and one of the topics we were supposed to get into, I don't know if we're going to be able to, is that there's a, an article that I pulled up and we talked about, you know, the common, uh, I guess, trope that they like to come after us for is, well, without the government, who's going to build the roads? Yeah, and they need taxes for that we'll, kind of stuff. Once again, I, 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 I'm a big fanboy. Michael Malice would always say, when somebody asks you who built who built the roads, you have to ask them well, who built who built the stairs. The government doesn't own a contracting company. Okay, those those roads are still built by companies yeah. who are subcontracted or have the contract awarded to them by the state with money that came out of your pocket. Yeah, I mean the same thing. Defense contractors—they're supplying all the weapons to go fight the wars that were like so eager to participate in. I should oh, yeah. say that's a good—that's a good um, way to look at it. Yes. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's not like the government's literally just making all this shit themselves. It's like, no, they're going to Northrop Grumman. They're going to... Lockheed. Yeah, Lockheed Martin. They're going to uh, Daniel Defense. They're going to... Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Dick Cheney. Like, oh, man, Uh, that could be a whole podcast. And and, and we'll get there. We'll get there. But I think it's important to remember that, you know, these... There's an article, the article of the uh, anarchists that were fixing roads in Portland because it was so bad yeah. that people started putting potting soil and flowers in it to grab the attention of, of, of quote, county and city officials. Oh, yeah. I mean, people would, like, spray paint dicks and shit around yeah, them because it's, like, it's, it's obscene and they need to do something about right. it. Because that's the only way you could get somebody to fill a hole yeah. is because there's a cock and balls on the street. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, it's smart. But these anarchists are going out and actually filling potholes with asphalt and the county got mad like well it's not very safe and it said is it safe to drive on roads that have world war one sized craters in them yeah like which I mean, would you I'm rather exaggerating have? but it certainly feels like that when you're driving over it and talk, talk about the down you know how much is the cost uh, if you were to come up with somehow to see how much it would cost uh, for a total for drivers for maintenance on their vehicles because roads are so poor oh yeah but they love to defend their shitty roads that's that's one of their arguments as if this will be the only means of transportation that will ever exist going forward it'd be like people looking at the automobile saying well who will have the dirt paths how will we get horses around we're already talking about (laughs) drones dropping off your amazon order within two hours oh man and That's as much as I as Amazon, I find very uh, running other uh, businesses uh, out, out, of, out of the game. Yeah. But this is this is free market action here. These things don't exist without a demand. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh, it's so fucking easy. Order shit on Amazon. Like fuck. I remember before Prime, like before the free two day shipping. It's like fuck. I have to wait a fucking week for this shit. Like what? <laughs> right. Or it's like if there's something now that I find that I really need and it's like not eligible for Prime. I'm like, oh, this is so fucking horse. Oh yeah, you like, move on. Yeah. You're like fuck it. I'll like, find an alternative. I have to fucking drive myself to the fucking yeah. store I get this people yeah <laughs> your fucking mind do you know what Walmart looks like at 11 o'clock at night oh I sure do yeah, all right. too well yeah I, I, I find that very interesting that I always go to the roads um, the one thing I wanted to talk to you about um, 
This is a deep one, and in fact, it's another article that I pulled up. And whatever okay. we can't cover today, we will cover again. Is I have you on record that you will be joint, you will be a permanent co-host to this podcast. Yeah, as much as I can, because you're, you're a busy guy. I mean, so yeah, if I, I do it on my own. That's fine. I work a lot of hours, but it's like they're uh, they're jammed together pretty closely. So sure. I end up having some nice patches of time off as well. That's so. excellent. No, I look forward to it because I think this will be a good. I think it's a good match. Um, the one thing I want to talk about is um, the death penalty. Okay. Uh, now the the article that I pulled up is from the Anarchist Library. Uh, they tend to be a more traditional anarchist uh, source, which means that they are, I would say, maybe ANCOMs. Oh, they state that because, now they're looking at it through, and I'm not criticizing the lens they're using, they're looking at it through economic lenses, saying that, well, without certain, certain economic conditions, certain violent crime won't exist. Without patriarchy, a certain violent crime won't exist. Now, when I talk about the death penalty, there's a few, there's only a few things that I can, that come to mind that I think would warrant it, that even a discussion, because okay. any kind of property crime, yeah, again, we get accused of being utopians. Oh, well, in a perfect society, there is no perfect society. Right, because we're people. So yeah, this is a human element. There's never going to be perfection on any level. No. They certainly haven't fucking achieved it, and they've had the run of the game for a very long time. Yeah, it's they like, let us, let us have our go at it. Correct. <laughs> yeah, let us get a crack at it. Well, okay, so when it comes to rape, I'm thinking about violent crime. Right. It's funny how, I'm not speaking for anybody else but, but, but me, when I look at a murder, like a mass murder, let's say, it's kind of like you want to look at them through a hole in the, in, in the door and kind of study what the hell they're doing. Or like, for example, that show The Mind Hunter. Where yeah, like why are these people doing what yeah, they're so doing? Now, like, tell me why. Tell me how you got here. Not, not to disparage or to shit on the victims of the people that had to bury those people. Right. Because that's, you know, that's horrible. But if you learn about it, you can potentially prevent something right. like that from Profiling. happening again. Yeah. It's like that, right? Or getting or learning a pattern. Yeah, but I mean, that also kind of gets dangerous, too, because, I mean, the whole profiling mixed with stop and frisk with the police, I mean, that's kinda, awful. Yeah. yeah no, so, no, that's definitely not the kind of profile I'm talking about. Okay. And I'm sure, you know, I'm, I thank you for the clarification. But I mean, that's, yeah, those are two, I guess, uh, separate definitions. Yes. I, I would argue. Okay. And probably. Um, when you, when, when, when sexual assault happens, now, of course, when, you know, I just watched one, that, that movie that was called Spotlight. It was about the exposition of the Catholic Church. Oh, yeah. I watched rapes. that a couple years ago. That made yeah. me feel very uncomfortable. I, I, like, I just irate. seeing all the names when the oh, credits man. roll. <laughs> what made me angry oh, was, man. and I'm not mad at my parents, but I was raised Catholic, and I was an altar boy for eight years. Yeah. Okay? None of that stuff ever happened to me. But the funny thing is, is everybody knew it was going on from the people that were working as clergy at this church. Yeah, and they're still like, yeah, go be an altar boy. Why not? Go be an altar boy, but also, well, you know, yeah, we know it's happening, but nobody did anything about it. Yeah, they're still not doing anything. got moved around. Yeah, no, they never got, like, fired. They're just like, oh, fuck it, box them up, ship them to another place, bring in another priest that also could have raped somebody somewhere else and just put them here. Right, and that's, those are the, like... Raping a woman, raping a child, uh, raping, you know, whatever sex, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it happens to everybody. However you identify. That one, to me, is the one that always comes to mind when it comes to the death penalty. Now, death penalty has to be imposed by society because that's how it works right now in the state. Right. Now, when we don't have a state, in the absence of a state, I understand their argument that there are certain elements that will no longer be there to drive, let's say, 
somebody steals your car. Okay, will you catch him? What happens? Do they give the car back? Okay, is the car in working condition? These are all hypotheticals that we could run through right, and yeah. take 100 episodes for us to even hash out an eighth of what we need to look at. Okay? Right. But on pay, once again, on, on, on the face of it, that's what you're looking at is property crimes have to be, you know, there has to be restitution for that. Correct. But when, when you violate somebody sexually, and I'm sure that you have a very visceral reaction to that too because any normal human being... I, don't, I can't think of anything worse than, for example, baby rape, let's say. Like, the people that you, you see on the news that take advantage of literal infants. Yeah. I want you against the wall. I don't have a use for you. There's no fixing you. Yeah. In fact, I don't want to give you the opportunity. Does that run counter to the non-aggression principle, but the aggression was already committed against an innocent individual, so much so against their person, where they could potentially be damaged mentally? Oh, yeah. And Physical and psychological damage. Yeah. In ways that we totally don't even understand yet as and as a society, but it definitely does have an effect. So what do we do with that? What, what, I mean, uh, the, the jury, well, I hate to use a pun, but the jury is out. I'm not sure how I feel about that because the, in this article, the ultimate punishment is banishment. Okay, well, what's preventing that individual to go to another? Exactly. Well, let's go, they went to the to, to the regular anarchist community, then they like got booted out for doing something terrible like this, and then they went to another community, yeah. and they did it again. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, I have a problem inherently with the death penalty in most cases, I, and that's, well, pro- that's probably more because of, like, just how many people have been exonerated, right, and it's too late, it. like, oh, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, it might only be a very small percentage of cases and people, but, I mean, that means it's happening, and it could technically be anybody, Oh yeah. and the justice system is incredibly flawed, um, and I mean, on the other side, in an anarchist community, uh, I mean, you could basically equate it to vigilanteism. Uh, yes, this is true. Which is, I mean, frowned upon in regular society. But it's like, I mean, who, who would you bestow that responsibility upon? Like, it would be, because I mean, everything else is basically going to corporations. But it's like you're giving one, or at least in your case, with like letting, say, the roads and everything else just being handled by like someone that would have been a contractor anyway. Right, and you um, pay like a subscription. Let's just say hypothetically right. speaking that you would pay a subscription. I mean, I guess the way, if we did, uh, if we did like, for the lack of a better term, law enforcement, the way that all of that works out, it would basically just be like mercenaries or the mob, like paying protection fees for someone to like look after you if you can't do it sure. yourself. And I mean... I guess it would be up to the community to decide who they feel comfortable doing that with right. in each community. And then, I mean, but it's not like, it's kind of like it's how we, tough one, it's kind of it? like how we do the Supreme Court now. Cause it's just like, I mean, there's still people, but it's like, for some reason you feel those people are the best people for the job. And I mean, yeah, they're still voted in it's like real partisan, but, and they sit for life, which is kind of fucking garbage in my opinion. <laughs> um, but that's, well, we're kind of going off the rails with that, but it's like, yeah, you'd have to, there'd have to be some kind of vet process that, I mean, I don't know how big this community is going to be, but I mean, as long as everyone can decide on some sort of uh, mutual set of rules well, sure. to abide by, then they'd be fine to operate like that. But, uh, I mean, there'd still have to be some kind of trial process. And how, and how do we carry that out? Because, yeah. you, first of all, then you're throwing the person's fate into the hands of 
Yeah, sure, a jury of their peers, let's say, like they call it here. Yeah, but, um, I mean, we know that doesn't necessarily... No, it certainly doesn't. <laughs> it's a very, it's one of the things I sincerely have a very hard time with, and when I've been yeah. approached about it, I don't know how to answer it. I mean, that's fair. Like, I think what a lot of times people get upset with is, like, we, we voice our... our gripes about the current system and they're like yeah that's great and all but what are we going to do instead and they want an answer like right now and it's like well shit like I mean I'm, I'm thinking of it but I mean I can't uh, like it's not something that I on my own have been able to come up with yet or like one that would be better than the current system we have um, but yeah no it's like but then it's like if you don't have an answer for that one thing, your whole theory is invalid. So it's like we can't even entertain the idea of doing anything else. And it's like I understand a lot of people don't really like flying by the seat of their pants and figuring this stuff well, out no, as you go. And I understand. Yeah, and it's a lot of responsibility. Sure. But, uh, but I, I personally don't have an answer for that right now either, and I'm going to have to think about it. I mean, I might, I might, I may never have a perfect answer for it, I, if there even is a perfect answer for right, it. Right, yeah, no, which I don't think that there is. But I think the best we can do is just better than what we've got going on now and we can keep further refining things until relatively speaking it's a more perfect system but yeah no that's uh all right so you know based on the conversation we we're having about uh the death penalty i went to um, a forum that's on libcom.org not a page that i would say i frequent hardly at all but i know that they're there but take a look at some of these answers so somebody asked, how do feel, um, do anarchists support the death penalty? And uh, somebody says, I was reading a history of the Russian Revolution the other day about an incident in 1918 when anarchists in Moscow found white agents about to blow up to uh, the printing press they were guarding. The anarchists couldn't bring themselves to lock the guys up or to execute them or release them. That hand, then, and rather than handing over to the Cheka. Uh, they let him go. This is, this is, again, I'm reading what this person wrote, which is very grammatically very difficult to read. <laughs> uh, it seems to me that no modern anarchist would act like this and would be okay with pragmatically locking up the agents or executing them. Was this about the strong influence of individualism back then or something? Mind you, if you count hippie anarchists, dot, dot, dot. And then someone else says, judging by the amount of priests anarchists killed in the Spanish Civil War, I think you can answer yes to your question. We are sometimes quite keen on shooting fascists and racists as well. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm radically opposed to it. Speak for you, basically. Yes. I mean, I, I don't believe that ideally anarchists would tolerate racists or fascists or anyone associated, that willingly associates with them. Sure. But I don't know if uh, death would be the answer for that one right off the rip. Uh, That's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> I, don't think it's, I don't think it was ever, well, hopefully it wasn't easy for anyone. I mean, maybe. Uh, but yeah, like I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody. I, my job is literally the opposite of that. Uh, I don't go out. Like some people, I've noticed, like when they go out drinking, it's like they start looking for fights. It's like I've never really understood that. I don't really care to. It's like I don't want to start a fight with anybody. But it's like most of the time, I don't really care to interact with anyone else if they're not already one of my friends. It's like I'll just 
keep to myself. We'll just keep doing our own thing. We don't want to bother anybody. It's like we don't want any trouble. But it's like I would like to be able to, uh, like, if need be, like, defend myself. But that's not me going out looking for any trouble. Because then you do have people that will train, uh, especially I feel like martial arts, like a lot of, I don't want to say... Maybe not a lot, but there are people I know that it's like they have the training and they know what they're doing, and it's like they are also those people that kind of go out looking for trouble, and it's like that's coupled with them actually knowing what the hell they're doing, and that could be a very dangerous combination. Oh, I agree completely. That would definitely bother me, for sure. Uh, I don't, especially being a practitioner of martial arts myself, that's one of the things you're not supposed to do. Right. You know, it's only supposed to be if somebody tries to hurt you, so... Yeah, that would that would really trouble me too. I, I again, the, I hate to use I, I hate to say the, the phrase, but the jury's out on this one. I'm not sure how I feel. Like I said, certain certain sexual crimes, I can, you know, if you were to catch somebody in the act doing that, are you going to have the fortitude to not do something about it? That's a very difficult question too. I don't I don't want to say, oh yeah, I'm going to be the guy who's going to blow blow that guy away if I see somebody fucking hurting, you know, you know, raping a woman. Right. Yes, we. Most of us would have a very strong reaction to seeing that to the point where you would be driven to violence because that's the ultimate violation of a non-aggression principle. Correct. You, you violated someone sexually. I don't know then, uh, how much higher it gets. I guess my question about that would be what would they do? Say you are one of those people that upon encountering that situation takes matters into your own hands and uh, exercises justice as they deem necessary. What happens with you then in the eyes of that society? Who gets to say what happens to you? Who gets to say, like, if it was a closed-door incident, like, I mean, I guess uh, the victim, if they were able to see what was actually happening and testify uh, on your behalf, then I guess that would help out. But, I mean, if it's, say, someone that was rendered unconscious by drugs and then taken advantage of, and then the rapist in that scenario ended up being hurt or killed, then it's like, it's literally just your side of the story that's being held up, and it's like, who... Because, I mean, obviously we can't just go around go around killing people and doing whatever we see fit. Like, there has to be some sort of, I feel like, judgment on that side to make sure that you did what was right, but it's like, I don't know who would be in charge of that. I mean, I guess that kind of comes back to our previous uh, discussion but yeah I don't know it's, uh, <laughs> I guess we'll leave that undecided I, I think that you know people are so very afraid to not have an answer that they feel like they have they're compelled that they have to give you something and I think it's much more educated to hang back and say you know what I am not exactly 100% sure how to answer this question because I certainly don't want the state to have the power to execute an individual Correct. you know what I mean do are, am I willing to make some exceptions again they're very limited and still I wouldn't want the state to be the one doing it correct oh, that's that's well said there was um a young lady who was um you can look this up um, long, the, her uh, her half brother was my best friend, and he stayed the night at my house. And this was in 1986, and uh, his uh, sister Wendy was beaten, uh, raped, and murdered behind what used to be Rolling Acres Mall in Akron. Uh, the gentleman who I I shouldn't even use that word the 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 animal who did that to her was executed by the state in 2008. 
Um, Swift, uh, Swift. <laughs> he was alive on death row longer than she was alive as a free human being, which no matter what your philosophical convictions are, even that should bother somebody. Uh, that's all. I guess maybe that's a little bit more personal being up close with it, not because it's my family, but it was one of my closest friends, sibling that was dead, you know, I can understand both sides of it because it's like, yes, a horrible thing did happen. And again, it sucks that the state is in charge of all this, but because they're not known to be the uh, most efficient system. But also, I do understand when it comes to uh, somebody's life being on the line and that being the punishment. It's like, I mean, I do understand taking enough time to make sure that like everything is correct, fact checked. Should it have taken that long? I definitely don't think it should have taken that long. Um, you could definitely could have done that a lot closer to the incident. Uh, I don't know how much new information was coming out about that in 2008, but uh, I guess there's definitely a middle ground there. But yeah, that's entirely too long. Like you said, longer than the victim was ever alive. But at the same time, it's not like they can just go like the day after it happened and do it. I feel like... Investigation is an important part of the process. It's just... There are multiple other parts of the process, including the ones who are carrying it out, that I'd say mostly I don't agree with. I believe that's fair. I think that's a fair assessment. And, uh, you know, these are extreme circumstances we're bringing up. Correct. You know, the, the worst of the worst, I guess you could say. And so a close issue to you at that point. It's hard to be objective when something agreed. is close to you. Agreed. 100%. Then, but then I, I kind of quantify or not quantify, but I, I expand my thinking to say, okay, well, every single person's had, you know, at least has two parents, whether they're around or not is questionable, but there's gotta be somebody who gives a shit about them. Right. And they're, if they're innocent, you know, innocent or not, no matter what kind of terrible asshole you were, you know, that's something that should not ever happen. And it does happen, but it shouldn't happen. And how to answer that, because, you know, this article that, that we were looking at before that's from the Anarchist Library talks about, I, I would dare to say, materialist, a little bit more Marxist in its way of thinking. And I'm not being critical. I'm just merely stating what I'm observing. Perhaps they see it as, okay, a lot of economic factors uh, begin to contribute to why people act this way. I might be able to see that argument when it comes to property crime. I might be able to see that argument uh, maybe in some other instances that deals with economics. But when it comes to hurting people, physically hurting them, and I'm and we're, like I said, we're talking about the worst of the worst, is sexually violating somebody. It's hard to be able to say, well, we're just going to kick you out. You're not going to be around and allowed to come here anymore. Well, what if they do try to come back? What do we do then? Yeah. These are these are real questions. And, I, and of course, neither you or I are ever going to see the day where the opportunity will arise that we'll have a chance to put these ideas into practice, to put these principles into practice. Um, I, I wish if the ice cream social kicks off, maybe something happens and we have an opportunity. I think that that, that, that okay, great. I feel like even in that case, I mean, there's so many people out there with... I guess they'd be there's so many people that would be loyalists in this situation that it's like even if shit did kick off and we and people that thought like us did everything that we could I feel like it'd mostly be people that aren't actively preparing for what we think is going to happen like they're not um, buying weapons or bullets they're not training they don't have uh, 
they're not really concerned about it. I feel like they'd be more of the ones in that case that would kind of cling to everything that they've known and lived with. So it would be kind of harder to... Because then, I mean, that would even be uh, us trying to impose what we want on other people. And yeah, correct. that's something that we are against. So, I mean, it would definitely have to be a willingness for people to participate. And it's like, I mean, maybe we could divide it up. It's like, hey, everybody that wants to try something new, let's go over here. And then you guys can go play over there. And right. And stay away from each other, whatever. I mean, but, I mean, logistically, that'd be a nightmare, I feel like. But uh, also, oh, there's something else I wanted to ask you uh, on the previous line of thinking that we had. Um, short of the death penalty, though, like, what are your thoughts on imprisonment? Because, I mean, the way we, the way prisons are run now, especially, uh, they're businesses. And I oh, mean, 100%. You, what is it? They, inmates make, like, what, 11 cents a day or something crazy? So it's like, they'll go out and use them for all kinds of insane manual labor, and they produce products, and it's like, yeah, they're technically getting paid, so it's not slavery, like, air quotes, uh... And uh, they get away with it as well because it's like, oh, these are horrible people that have done horrible things. It's like they don't deserve to have any rights. And it's like maybe in the case of rapists and mass murderers and stuff like that, like, okay, I'll concede you that point. Or at least I understand more of that line of thinking when talking about these individuals. But then you also, you have people that are in there for drug possession. You have people that... Nonviolent crime. Yeah, exactly. But it's like you lump them all in with the other horrible people at the other end of the spectrum. And it's like you're working these people for essentially no compensation and then I mean you can justify by saying oh the criminals like they don't deserve to be able to vote they don't deserve to have rights and it's like even after they get out I mean and then they're not they're not being rehabilitated either so it's almost like they depend on these people getting incarcerated again so that way they can keep the gears turning and keep the business rolling and it's like we're not even caring about rehabilitating people and making society better it's just like oh shit like let's make business better right so i mean <laughs> i can't help but imagine that if imprisonment were a thing in an anarchist society it would definitely be different than what we are used to now the question is would it exist at all because you brought up excellent points that the this is economically driven they have to fill beds and the way things work right now, I mean, you are, I think there's a, there's several laws that we, I forget somebody wrote a book or there was an article, I can't remember what kind of publication it was where it dealt with how many felonies you potentially commit every single day. Oh yeah, I do remember you talking about that. Yeah. It's like, I know for sure, (laughs) for sure. Like, I mean, we were just talking about uh, the, the AR building, like, I mean, for me to take the lower that I have, the lower uh, receiver part of the weapon system, and just slap a different upper receiver onto it that had a shorter barrel, that uh, my friend schooled me on that one. That would technically be a felony, and I could go to prison for up to 15 years for that. And it's like something that I easily could have done on my own with no, uh, like, no bad intentions. Like it's just like, oh, sure. I want a shorter barrel. Like why? why should it be illegal for me to just do like I can do it easily myself like it doesn't feel like I'm breaking a law like I'm just no not at all out parts. but that technically would be uh, I'd need a pistol lower for it. it'd be the exact same piece of equipment just with a different serial number on it and I mean part of that it's like yeah I'm gonna have to go spend more money so it's like somebody's profiting from that which I feel like might actually be one of the motivations to keep that legislation the way it is is because I technically if I'm abiding by the law have to go out and spend more money um, and if I don't do that, I spend only enough to get the upper, and then I can just 
swap different uppers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I don't want to fall too far down that route, but it's like there's a bunch of laws like that. And it's like if I wouldn't have known that person to give me advice, I would have just I would have broken like ten laws like a week sure. ago and not known anything about it. Like I would have. I mean, I'm sure if I would have went to a range and uh, like some of the more obvious ones, I'm sure someone would have called me on it and like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? I'd be like, what? Like, just putting attachments on this, and they'd be like, oh no, like that's like if anybody fucking sees that, you're in a lot of trouble. Oh yeah. It's just like it's not. So I could easily see how there are multiple things that I might be doing in my everyday life that are against the law that I just don't realize, and that it's just going to be somebody calling me out one day, going like, oh, actually, you can't fucking do that, and you're in a lot of trouble. And right. It's it blows my mind. Yeah, I. I there are so many pitfalls. I was thinking about this the other day. So I was going for a walk with my dog and uh, I passed through a school zone and you, as well as anybody who knows me, knows that I travel armed yeah. all the time. Yeah. I'm not going into school. No. I am walking my dog. I'm, you know, with my weapon on me. Yeah. Okay. Concealed and legally concealed, even though I don't feel like I should have to ask. Right. But nonetheless, to keep my ass out of prison, Correct. I buy my rights back. Okay. Fine. Whatever. Okay. Working we'll, with what we've got right now. Working with what we got. That's well said. If a cop really wanted to push the envelope, could they get me for having a concealed weapon in a school zone? 100%. I mean, at least like, uh, I know on college campuses, they're, uh, it's no joke, because um, I have friends that carry, and then, like, all the time, like, they carry everywhere, and it's like, they go to class, and they don't think anything of it, they're like, oh, fuck, like, I'm in the middle of the lecture, and I, like, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, like, you, you, you're gonna be good, and they're like, I mean, as long as nobody fucking says anything, like, obviously, it's not obvious, like, you're not open carrying anything, but I'm just like, shit, like, I mean, you should be able to do it anywhere, and it's like, people always freak out about it, it was like that, uh, that thing I shared today, it was like, when your anti-gun friends are talking about how terrifying it would be if someone had a gun in public right now, and it's just like the one guy laughing. <laughs> like, yeah, you have no idea. Fucking yeah, but it's, it's like just... people can see it all the time, and it's like if you don't know what to look for, you're not going to notice. And it's like nobody's fucking out just murdering people because they have the ability to conceal carry. It, like, I mean, if people are doing it the way they should be doing it, hopefully you'll never have to draw that weapon. But, I mean, it's there. Yeah. Not everybody knows about it. I know, like, uh, where was that one church at where that guy tried to shoot it up and that one guy just stood up? Wasn't it in Texas? 20 yards away, headshot. Like I Under mean, duress. Oh, yeah. And it's like, I mean, I'm sure, okay, so it's Texas. They're probably a little bit more lenient with their carry laws down there. But I think it like, depends on the church. The institution has to give you permission or what have you. Because, I mean, there are places that I've worked in Ohio that, uh, like, they've had signs on the door. They're like, yeah, we welcome it. Like, don't do anything stupid, but we welcome it. Uh, so yeah, I guess it is like a case by case, business by business. But it's like any federal building, you're not allowed to. Of course not. <laughs> it's like, I mean, yeah, that's I guess that's one of the more obvious ones. But well, no, only the only the criminals and the state can have weapons. <laughs> the rest of you fuckers yeah. better take cover. Yeah, you're only, yeah. you can't drill a third hole. <laughs> no, absolutely. Drop that little plastic piece in there. Yeah, yeah. No, I, that's people and felons only. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's a question for you. With the advent of 3D printing, and uh, love it, I there are a lot of people in the community who have said that 3D printing is going to make is going to render gun control 
you completely useless. Yeah. There's nothing you will be able to do about it. Anybody that knows anything about milling, and yeah, especially 3D printing, it's like, they, you can do it. And there's no serial numbers, there's no, you need the raw materials and the technical wisdom. Actually, you don't even really need that much technical experience, because you can download links off the right parts of the internet that will program that machine that's already all set up for you. Like, you just have to basically, for lack of a better term, like, hit print. But... Yeah. And I mean, yeah, you can have fully drilled out lower, and then so like you can, and then you can buy any upper you want and slap it on there, or you can make your own if you wanted to. But I mean, I don't want to go around banning three D printing. Like that's, I don't. The thing, like a lot of people don't share my beliefs on gun control because they think the world would be a horrible place if like you could go to the store and buy like fully automatic weapons. But I mean. There's already a black market for that kind of stuff, and people with the right amounts of money can get that stuff all the time. So it's like, I mean, shit, I'd like to be a part of that, and I'm poor. It's and the I don't same. want to break the law. It's but. the same argument that we encounter with the drug war. The biggest uh, loss that this, uh, that this stupid government's taken probably in its existence, yeah. because this is a failed war. You, this this war has been lost. I mean, they're playing both sides of it, too. So oh, like, yeah. What, what do you really want to do? But... Increase the uh, prison population. Don't we have per capita the most people in jail or in prison in any? And that's including communist regimes. That's very embarrassing. If true. Hey, we're we're a country that brags about freedom, but we have the highest percentage of incarcerated individuals. Jesus Christ. So, like, I mean, it's what what really is freedom? Because it's like the freedom we want isn't the freedom that the government wants us to have. No, and that's a great question. When they when they say, I saw that the other day uh, when somebody was talking about some conservative. I can't remember if it was Marco Rubio. It might have been today on Twitter. I spent too much time on Twitter today. I apparently don't spend enough. <laughs> He uh, said something about, no, it was um, Jim Jordan, the guy from Ohio who was part of the Benghazi thing with um, Trey Gowdy and going after Hillary, I think it was. Like, you know, he uh, said something about, you know, America is about freedom. And it's funny you bring that up because what is, you know, again, we want to stay out of these rabbit holes because we're, we're already deep. And I, I don't think we even got to most of the topics. We and definitely we're, haven't covered No, we're going we're gonna to need another session here. I mean, uh, talk to you about anything at any time. Like, we could go for hours. Oh, yeah. Before we got a microphone. Do it with the fight. It's being an audio book at this point. <laughs> but he's, what is someone's idea of freedom? I mean, it differs for everyone, I'm sure. Sure it does, but... The kind of freedom that people are talking about, the plastic freedom where they're waving flags at an Independence Day, uh, you know, cookout or, you know, Memorial Day parade. I don't think that's the kind of freedom that uh, my, my kind of freedom is. I don't I don't even want to fucking be bothered by you. I don't even want to know most of the people exist. Like, I mean, I mean, I think everything uh, that I the things I think of uh, in contrast to, I guess, like actual freedom, it's like you have to get new tags for your license plate every year you have to have a license to fish a license to hunt a license yes. to be a contractor you have to get everything approved you have like all this shit and it's like what can I do without any uh, approval from the outside um ah oh, shit oh I don't really else know what else I was gonna say but, like you need a permit for fucking everything. And it's like if you go outside or, or around one, don't use one. I mean, you can have, I want to say, uh, one of my friends was building a fence around their house mm. uh, in the city. 
and they had... I can't remember how long it took them to get approval to build a fence around their own yard. I can only imagine. Dog from getting out. Like, and, I mean, they had all the right materials. Like, it wasn't... It didn't look trashy or anything, but it's like, I mean, if they would have put it up without the approval, the city would have come out and been like, hey, tear that shit down. And the other thing is, like, the city wouldn't even have known about it if it weren't for, like, the neighbors saying something. And that's kind of another point. Ooh, yeah. Is because not only do we have, like, we have state-funded law enforcement, we have the police... And we have laws that come down from the state. But then you don't even just have to worry about that. You have to worry about who is supposed to be your fellow man to your left and your right. You literally have to worry about your neighbors. And that's, I keep going back to North Korea. But that's one of the things is that it's so ingrained in everyone that it's like some, uh, it's like some KGB following you around kind of shit. It's like it could be anybody and they're watching you. And it could be someone that you think you can trust or that you've lived next to your entire life. But it's like that person is equally capable of fucking you over because they think that serving their state is better than, like, just looking out for themselves and their fellow man. It's like, I mean, shit, building a fence, that's not hurting anybody. But it's like if somebody doesn't like the way it looks and you don't have a permit, you're like, yeah, fuck it, pull the city and get that shit torn down. Does a permit cost money to build a fence? Uh, I don't know. I think I would imagine it does. That's, I, I could ask. That's where this is with but all yeah, this is about. it's all about, about profit. Um, it's all about generating revenue, just like traffic laws are about generating revenue, not so much about <laughs> dealing with safety. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely not about safety because, I mean, I'm 0 for 3. I've gotten three speeding tickets, one every time. And I know it's usually, like, more attractive women than I know, but it's like they've been going faster than I have in lower speed zones. And they're like, yeah, I've never gotten a ticket. And I'm like, okay, then it's not about justice because oh, certainly not. just as hard as I was. That, and I got a ticket once. Uh, <laughs> I was doing 88 and a 60, which, I mean, yeah, like... I shouldn't have been doing I mean like there was nobody else out on the road it was like middle of the fucking night but like it was just me and the cop and I was like oh fuck like you know you're fucked right away and I mean that ticket cost just as much as a ticket I got for going five over the speed limit I mean the 88 to 60 was very expensive but then there was a speed trap I was driving home I was driving home from work hit a speed trap uh, and I was going five over like 50 and a 45 and that ticket cost just as much as the one that I was going amazing. 28 over it's like, amazing it's amazing Where's the math coming from here? Like, it should be less, right? Like, I don't know. I don't understand. But it doesn't seem like there's a solid method to any of the madness. It's just... No, not at all. ...to take your money. I think that it has to be about revenue because I laugh. And you have to pay if you don't. You can show up to court or you can bypass that and you have to pay more. Yeah. I uh, got a ticket uh, three years ago. Uh, I was doing according to the highway patrol officer 44 and a 35 but that's not why he pulled me over he saw that i didn't have a seatbelt on uh. and uh i didn't get any points on my license he didn't charge me for the speeding he charged me for the seatbelt because the seatbelt is an automatic 100 fine or 125 dollars fine oh, shit, really? he goes there's no points on your license there's right. there's no points on anything it's just the money it's it's and do you know how many laws he broke to pull me over? He did a UE in traffic yeah, to come and see, get me. That's the other thing. Like they, it's like they get to be above the law to enforce it. It's like that's not how it should fucking work. Um, <laughs> but and then there was that fucking camera they put up on uh, on seventy six. Oh yeah, you got busted by that goddamn yeah, thing. I got hammered by that thing. I was just I'm glad it only happened once. That thing was up for less than a year and it generated three million dollars in revenue. Yeah. Three million dollars. Yeah, get to use for whatever the fuck they want. Correct. And it's like, I didn't have any points on my license. They just mailed me a bill. 
and that there was nothing to it. And I'm like, oh, neat. That's like, and the, and the thing is, that didn't make me a better driver. I just slowed. I'd slow down for the like, Dude, fucking. What a great point. And then as soon as I was past it, I was back to doing whatever the hell. I what was. a great point. It didn't make me a the better driver. Doesn't work. No, it never does. When you're under when you're under surveillance, you'll be like, yeah, sure, I'll give you every impression that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But at the end of the day, I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want as long as I'm 100%. not hurting anybody else. Hundred percent. But that doesn't matter to them. It doesn't matter no. that you're not hurting anyone else. It's that you're not conforming to what they want you to do. You're not bending to Correct. what they want you to be, because free thinking is scary and that's the other thing is the people that are enforcing all of this stuff it's like they're indoctrinated in it they don't they're not aware of I'm not trying to sound like I'm better than anybody or anything not, that's not what I'm doing no I understand but it's like I don't think they've ever given any of this stuff thought they've just been think, they've been like alright this is my job this is what I do now and like they're all just bad people Maybe it's not even that black and white for them. I'm sure they understand. There's like shades of gray in all of it. But it's like at the end of the day, I'm helping because I'm helping the state or whatever. This is what I was, this is what I'm supposed to do. But it's not, I don't think they're making that much of a difference. Nor do I. But, and it's like you get labeled as, uh, like, oh man, there's people in my family that like they've talked to me about this and they're like, oh, so you're a criminal and just don't give a fuck about the law. And I'm like, I mean, I want to say it nicer than that because you're my family. But I do appreciate the sentiment. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> because I had, uh, let's see, I had a bunch of parking tickets from uh, a campus, a college campus, and it was from their campus police or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Their parking services, right? Yeah. yeah. And it was like, I mean, it was a decent amount of money, but it's like, I was buying passes and everything, but it's like, uh, there's like certain times that the passes are valid and then there's like an hour stretch where it's not and then there's another four hours where it's valid again and I was like fuck like I can't keep all this straight so like I did everything I could I bought parking passes and then still got tickets and then eventually I was like fuck it I'm just saving the old parking passes and punching new dates in it I'm not paying for more and then gonna get ticketed anyway it's just like way more money but then uh like they booted my car once and I did have to pay to get the boot taken off but they didn't make me pay the uh other balance for the tickets added up and I was like ah you fucking idiots you're never gonna get that money now because I'm never coming back here um I'll just never park on campus ever again I'll park somewhere else and walk all the way back and when they booted my car they put a sticker on one of the windows and that shit like does not like to come off and it's like even once I got most of it off there was still like the residue from the glue and I had to go see my family for some bullshit and they were like what's that on your window and I was like oh it's a, it's a real funny story like I got my car booted by the campus security whatever and they're like oh did you pay the tickets and I was like no and they're like, why? And I was like, because I could use that money for literally anything else. And it's not like it's going to add any points to my license. They're not going to put a warrant out for me. As long as I stay off campus, they've got no more beef with me. I apparently just owe them money. I'm not going to fucking do it. And they're like, that's really, like, unethical of you, they told me. And I was like, parking shouldn't fucking cost money anyway. That's like charging people to breathe air. Like, you gotta put your fucking car somewhere. Mm-hmm. And everyone, uh, I mean, I don't know who did it first, but it's like the second you, they realized you could profit from that, it was like, bam, everybody's charging for fucking parking. And it's horrible. And I mean, Akron's horrible about it too. That wasn't the campus, but it's like everywhere you go, it's just fucked. Well, just think about it when you have to pay to park on a street that you already allegedly were robbed via taxation yeah. to pay oh, for yeah. oh there's layers to all of it you're taxed for the vehicle you're taxed for the road you're taxed for the parking spot you're taxed to get your oh my fucking god your tags every goddamn year like it never ends how about dog tags yeah oh that's bullshit I, I, did, you know, I did three years on the gun on my dog yeah 
I've, I've done it every year, but I, like everybody has to like remind me about it. They're like, oh, your tags are expired. I'm like, well, I still own this dog. Like, I need permission <laughs> yeah. to own the fucking dog. Yeah, uh, yes, you do. You need but to check I'm in. Like, Shit, I'm gonna have to take him to the vet for his yearly checkup, and they're gonna be like, why doesn't he have normal tags? I'm like, fuck, you got me. Like, there's just no way around some of it. But unless like you just don't want to take your dog to the vet to get checked on, but like he's basically the closest thing I ever want to a child. So it's like whatever. I'll drop the extra cash on him now, but like take care of him. But oh man. Yeah, it's but it's whack. And then yeah, my family was like, "So like, you think that's okay?" And I'm like, "I think it's more than okay because I'm doing fine." Like, they're gonna, <laughs> they're getting so much money in tuition every year from all those fuckers that go there. They're not gonna miss the little drop in the bucket no. for my parking expenses. Like, I think I have parking tickets from every college I've ever gone to. I've attended two different universities and then done classes elsewhere. And I think I owe money to all of them for parking, but nobody's beat down my door looking for it. So like, if they want it, you, whatever, <laughs> like come and take it from me. But if not, leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. Many of you might not agree with that, but it's like I'm, I'm existing, and they're charging me to put my car somewhere. No, it's not uh, right. That's I think it's bullshit. Of course, it's bullshit. There's no, there's no other way to look at it. Of course, it's bullshit. But you know, unfortunately, they they're the only game in town, and. Uh, What's funny is, too, is you'll find people who will trip over themselves to justify any action that the state takes against individuals who are like, you know, for example, when uh, I was talking to my spouse about like, she's like, well, you know, you know, you got she's not an anarchist. And uh, she says, well, you know, you guys have, you know, you guys have big burdens on you because you have to you have to explain to people how you could, you know, do all these different things. And what I try to explain to her, I said, it's more like what you do to introduce somebody to these revolutionary ideas is you pick one thing. And I don't know if I talked to you about this already, but my thing has always been like there was a Twitter account. Once again, Twitter. Is this uh, the dog thing? Yes. Okay. This is. Yeah, we, we've talked about it. I, I always, if I want to introduce people to the idea of how dangerous police are, yeah. how dangerous modern policing is, 25 dogs a day, on average, are killed by the cops. I actually used that statistic the other day to talk to somebody, and they were like, what? And they made me look it up, and it's a Department of Justice statistic. Like, they're not even hiding it. Oh, no, they're not hiding it all. And But the thing, what, what's funny is, where I'm going with that is... There are people, like, uh, there's an account, once again, that does, you know, hey, post your favorite meme, and, you know, whoever wins the contest gets retweeted or what have you. And uh, one of them was the Crucifixion of Christ, uh, where uh, he's being whipped by Romans, you know, like having his back ripped open by the cat of nine tails as he's taking his cross up to get, you know, to be executed. And they have a dude with a MAGA hat on and a jean jacket with the uh, Blue Lives Matter flag and a bubble where the, the text says context. And the other ones I've seen where he should have just followed the law. He should have just done what the centurions told him to do. Yeah, what's this, the same people, these, the, and they... That the, the, the you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to worry about. Oh my God, I can't even I can't even get into that. Then why do you lock your fucking door? Why do you draw your blinds? Yeah. You know why, why do you have any privacy at all? Correct. Why do you use incognito when you look up pornography? Okay, <laughs> it's because oh that's okay. But this idea that's been beaten into us yeah. that oh well fly or die like they're wearing a costume, they they have the authority from somebody you've never met. To go ahead and tell you, you're going to do these things. Like the most unnerving thing, I've been pulled over four times, and, and since I've had my, uh, since I've been carrying a weapon. Okay. I've been pulled over by local police, 
the guy pulled me over, and of course, by the law, uh, we, we we have to identify before they even yeah hands on the steering wheel yeah state your yeah yeah it's saying I have I have a permit to carry a weapon I am I am armed what do you want me to do the local guy was like okay great and he's like you put your you put your hands down I look at him I go are you sure are you positive oh. and he goes yeah he goes I just need your license and registration and your insurance it was for a this is the funny part. It was for a license plate light on my old car. Do you remember my old car that my red car used yeah. to drive? Yeah. It was a license plate light. It was a Cobalt. Yeah, it's heavy Cobalt. So I had, there's a license plate light on there. Well, meanwhile, with his lights, he could see my license plate light. But the fact that he couldn't see it when he wasn't behind me was probable cause enough for him to initiate a traffic stop. He wasn't even looking at like he. I, I told him. I said my weapon is in my front left pocket because I carry. I pocket carry with a holster, yeah. and I said my my weapon's in my front left pocket. I have to get my wallet. It's in my back left pocket. Can I reach for my wallet? And he wasn't even looking at me. He goes, Yeah, go ahead. I said, Are you sure? Oh yeah. He goes, Yeah. He wasn't even looking at me. He was just looking down the street, thing, checking stuff out. One thing I'd be interested to know, and I'm not trying to make this about race, but if you were, say, not a white man, do you think he would have acted a little different? Yes. And because that's like, there was a similar, I had, one of my old roommates, we were going to look at a car because he was going to buy a new car. We had to drive uh, to a different city to look at it. And he was driving. He was carrying. And we got pulled over on the way coming back from uh, looking at this car. And it's the, it's the middle of the night. Cops got a flashlight, and he's like, all the all the usual traffic stop shit. And my roommate's like, yeah, like I have a permit to carry. Uh, I have my permit on me. I also have my weapon on me. And he was like, where is it? And my friend reached down and tapped it. And oh no! Like, oh what? The <laughs> like, and the cop didn't do anything. I mean, we're just a couple of white guys. But like, and I hate that I even have to like. I don't have to bring it up, but it's like, it is interesting given everything that's been happening lately with, uh, like racial tension and the police versus civilians, but it's like, I can't help but wonder what would have happened if we wouldn't have been white because they call you, you, there's enough stories of people that are totally unarmed, just getting murdered in far less shitty original circumstances. I I think that's where my point was going was that you have to, because people whether they're white or, you know, they're Caucasian and they're looking at crime as being, you know, an African-American problem or a black problem, let's say, which is complete horseshit. Yeah. Uh, they, you have to bring up dogs to get them upset. They don't get upset about unarmed black kids getting lit up or poor people. Yeah. Poor, of any color, of any stripe. You bring up any fucking dog. You bring... And I get, don't get me wrong, I love dogs, but it's... But they're not human. But here's the thing. That's been a very useful way to try to red pill people, especially when it comes... If we can get people looking at the police a little bit differently, this isn't an advocate. I'm not advocating for violence. I'm not advocating for people to go out and start the the ice cream social and start doing terrible things to people. But I want people to be aware of what they're dealing with because the thing that I've been using, I've been saying, this is the standing army we were warned about by our ancestors. Oh, this shit is way overdue. We should have started, like, because it was, what, like a 2 or 3% tax that the fucking war, uh, <laughs> the, revolu- the American Revolution yeah. started over. And now it's, I mean, we're way past that. But everything else is also way worse compared to that shit. Like, I mean, we missed, I'd say we missed our chance a long time ago. Oh, I agree it's with you. Be, insanely more difficult to do anything radical about it now but it's not 
impossible. Sure. Either, but it is going to be an uphill battle. And if I could plug uh, an excellent book that if anybody who's listening to this and if you ever are interested, uh, it's called Rise of the Warrior Cop by Radley Balco. Uh, I retweeted him, or I tweeted him on Twitter, and I encouraged everybody. And he got a hold of it, and he retweeted. A lot of people got it. Got a lot of uh, a lot of traction with with, with uh, users. I really recommend this book because he goes deep, and I'm talking about a deep dive into the origins of modern policing, going back to the Bobbies in the Metropolitan Police Department in London, okay. in the United Kingdom, and how their way of policing was far different than what we were doing over here. Mm-hmm. Um, also, going back in time to uh, the, where badges came from, where the police uh, came from, slave catchers. Really? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I believe somebody uh, was showing like the like they look like a five star sheriff's badge or a six star, like almost like a star David, but it has like a small round. Uh, yeah. It's rounded at the edge, you know. I'm talking about in the middle, it says slave runaway slave patrol. So maybe in this country that might be where it came from. So. I, th- I think that that's, uh, th- that book warrants a read because it deals with swatting. It deals with the rise of SWAT, the no, X, no-knock raids. No raids. Bullshit. Well, the drug war is what's really escalated the problem. Because that's like, I hear stories about that all the time. It's like, yeah, they didn't knock, they, no-knock raid, and it's like they're shooting back at law enforcement. Like, what the fuck do you expect? If somebody's booting my door and I don't know who it is. You're I'm getting it. it. Oh, yeah, 100% until I'm dead. Like, or they're gone. Like, yeah. I don't care. Like, oh my God. But uh, I do like the point you brought up about other countries and their police forces because it was, again, uh, Japan and Norway, both totally different. Japan is a lot more, I'd say, strict in certain areas. Like, you can get your ass beat by the police for spitting on the sidewalk. Like, it's very disciplinarian over there. But, uh, or at least in Okinawa, where I was. And then in Norway, though, we were walking around and we ran into police officers there, and it's like they. Uh, there are a few differences I'd like to point out. They are they wear bright neon colors. They're easy to spot, so that way if you're in trouble, you need like boom, they're right there. And I mean in America, it seems to be like they're doing the opposite. At least with patrol cars, they're making that shit hard as fuck to spot because they want to catch you doing some shit that you're not supposed to be doing per their. One hundred percent. So it's like they're almost baiting you into doing this shit. And then the other thing is the cops in Norway, they don't even carry guns. They have to call, like, I mean, it sounds crazy, but, I mean, they have a very low crime rate as well. But it's like, they have to call in for that kind of shit if they really did need it. But, I mean, they're, they know how to de-escalate situations. People know where to find them. And, I mean, we were asking them, we are like, doesn't it freak you out that you don't have, like, a weapon, like, a, a lethal weapon on you at least? And they're like, no, not really. We don't really have a whole lot of crime over here. And we're like, really? And they're like, yeah, if anything, uh, the biggest problem is like the, because I mean, the sun goes down for three straight months in the winter for them. They have a lot of depression, a lot of suicides from that. They said that's basically like an epidemic. But they said that really most of the crime comes from American military people that get stationed over there. And then they start bringing all their bad habits and shit with them and they get rowdy and drunk. That's unfortunate. And yeah, I mean, I was like, shit, like, I mean, but you got a point. Like, I could definitely believe that. It wouldn't be hard. (laughs) It would not be hard for me to imagine that because I've seen some dumb shit. But, oh yeah, I mean, it's horrible in Okinawa too. It's like American servicemen and women going out drinking and driving, driving on the wrong side of the road, killing innocent families, raping the locals. Like, it happens all the time. Bases get shut down for it all the time. And it's horrible. But it's, yeah, it's like they didn't have any of those problems until we were fucking over there fucking. I mean, okay, they had, they had some of those problems, but it wasn't nearly at the scale it's at now. 
until we were over there. And it's all it's an international incident. It makes the news. It's fucking everywhere. Well, yeah, I've even read about it. Yeah. Here's a question. So, we, like, I want to shift gears before we wrap up. Yeah, no problem. We both went to see 1917. I got a question for you. Go for it. Do you believe that film is an anti-war movie? Um, I mean, you could say it is. It's like they wouldn't even have to try to make it an anti-war movie. Just make it historically factual and accurate. And I think it's, as a standalone piece, should be enough to deter people from wanting to send young men over to die. Because, I mean, I don't know what their intention was with it at all. But, I mean, that shit looked horrible. They made it look... I mean, I wasn't there, obviously. But... I've never seen something more realistic, at least from a World War One battlefield's uh, point of view. And it's like, yeah, you see people dying. You see the aftermath. You see the death and decay and the rats, like, just chewing on anything that's dead. Um, I mean, it's very visceral and in your face. And it's, at times, it makes you very uncomfortable. Agreed. And I think if we're going to glorify war and we're going to send people overseas... You can't just focus on, like, the honor or the courage of people involved. You also have to take with it all of the horrible shit that's going on to them. And then, I mean, we've talked about it before, how the government is so willing to uh, fund wars and send people over. But when they come back all fucked up, they're like, yeah, piss off. Like, we yeah. don't care. Like, the Thank you for your service. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> have fun waiting in fucking line. Like, it's so bad people have protested waiting in line at the VA by literally walking in and committing suicide. That's how bad it is. It's happened at least three times. That's so sad. Oh, it's horribly depressing. And, I mean, it's uh, it's a flawed system. It's state-run. But, I mean, people are still getting sent over there in droves. And it's like they don't care. I mean, Vietnam was probably when it was at its worst because people were coming back and getting spat on. And they had no services to really cope with PTSD at all. And, I mean, I learned a lot about it uh, reading in Dave Grossman's books, the ones that you lent to me, on killing and on combat. And it's like it breaks down why everything was the way it was at that time. And it was just like a perfect shitstorm of events that made life a living hell for those guys. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it has improved since then, but it's just tragic that it happened in the first place. But uh, not trying to get too far away from your original question. No, not at all. Yeah, I don't know if they meant for it to be anti-war, but, I mean, it's... I mean... I would definitely be deterred from it just by watching that because it's like you see these young men, uh, they're talking about their families. They're talking about some of them have children and they're just like uh, the one not wanting to wear his ribbon because it's just a fucking shitty piece of tin after all the shit from the Somme that he, I mean, you had to like look that up if you didn't know it, like you said. But just going through the worst things that humanity has to offer and it's just, that could have been any, there could have been anyone just like us, or us, I mean, if we were born at a different time. But it, literally, they were sending everyone over there they could. I mean, able-bodied men, for the most part. Correct. But it, still, it doesn't matter your economic standing, for the most part, or where geographically you were born in the countries that were involved. They could send you. Or, I mean, I mean, a lot of people volunteered, too. But it's just tragic, the immense loss of life. Like, what was it... Uh, how many in the first hour, you said, during the song? The population of the town that I live in, uh, which is 20,000 people, were killed in the fir- in one hour uh, during the Battle of the Somme. The first Battle of the Somme. Yeah, so, and I mean, that, that, that number's hard to grasp. It's like... Uh, in an hour, yeah, that's... Oh, yeah, <laughs> especially in an hour. Because um, what was it, like, 
was it Stalin that said like one death is a tragedy but a thousand is a statistic yeah like yeah. I mean it is true but it's like you gotta think that, that whole film just focused on two men and imagine that quantified like multiplied by however many people were involved in that conflict and they're all going through similar shit and it's horrendous I can't figure out what it is about that conflict that always draw, brings me back because that was, like I said, an, I'm, a, I'm an amateur student of it. It was a big part of my undergraduate studies when I was getting my uh, undergraduate degree. Uh, but ever since I was a kid, that's what I would watch or read, excuse me. I would read stuff about that because World War II was heavily covered and there was, yeah. according to us, according to the, te- the textbooks and some of the books we had access to as kids, public school uh, children, we were the good guys, even though we were allied to the most murderous regime before Mao Zedong, which was Stalin. Yeah. And for anybody who wants to ch- verify my statistics, please go ahead and look them up. Hitler killed less people than Stalin. And that's saying something. Yeah. It took Hitler between 1938 to 1945 to kill approximately 6 million Jews. That doesn't include the gypsies and the homosexuals. and 11 million total, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, Stalin killed 7 million Ukrainians in a single year by starving them to death under forced collectivization. 7 million people in one year. It's uh, that's like you have to sit down for a minute. There's propaganda posters that the Soviet, uh, that the Communist Party put together that said, don't eat your dead children. Okay. Now I don't know what it is about World War One. Maybe it's because there wasn't any clear good guy or bad guy. I know that the Germans are made to be the bad guy. It's a lot more complex. It's far more complex, and that's that. Like I said, it's the meeting of those two, the Victorian ideal that's against you, the modern, the mo- modern state of war. That's what you always said when I asked you about it. That seemed to be one of the bigger reasons you were so fascinated with it. Is like you have all of this modern engineering. But it's still like an old style of combat, and it's like the two just create this huge mismatch, and it's, it all comes, it brings about a massive loss of life. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I just wanted to get your take on it. I definitely took it as an anti war film because you don't, there isn't any glory in this film. No. None whatsoever. It's nothing but slogging through and suffering. Yeah. And it's like, it's impressive how uncomfortable they make you feel correct. sitting in a movie theater watching it. And it's like you Wait. feel all of the suspense. <laughs> it's it's a surprise. It's a very good film. I would recommend it. But I what, what and I think that you do, what we talked about before some of the characters, none of them were true believers anymore. Then this was in 1916 or excuse me 17. So this is a year after the Battle of Somme. This is. Uh, this is three years of sustained trench warfare on the Western Front. This is millions of dead people on a scale the planet had never seen before. There is no glory, even from the officer corps. Oh, yeah. The officer corps, even at the end with the gentleman who doesn't want to stop the attack that's going to lead to the slaughter of 1,600 men, he said, they're going to stop it today. Next week, they'll send us an order to go over anyway. Yeah. Because it never ends. Like what difference does it make? What difference does it make? Very nihilistic in many ways. Oh, yeah. But uh, I thought it was a cinematic masterpiece, and I hope it does more for people to begin to study the topic because I think that there's a certain type of person that is really incredibly hard to survive psychologically 
that kind of damage. And uh, I know that you started reading uh, The Storm of Steel by Ernst Jünger, the uh, German survivor of the First World War, who quite honestly relished in the combat. He thought it was a great test of his abilities. Yeah, I didn't also realize that he ended up involved in World War II as well. Yeah, he did, and he's penned further works, yeah. not just on war, but... Uh, on life. Kind of like, I feel like he's gotten pigeonholed almost or more recognized for the works on war. Especially World War One, because there's so few, like there's, there's diaries that we can read. Right. But he is a very good linguist. He has a very good command of storytelling. So he paints an excellent picture where, you know, some other stories are about, you know, what kind of rations they got that day only. And, oh, yeah, we survived a bombardment. Right. Then we had to go out to a sap trench. Then we got rotated out as opposed to Ernst. Yeah, yeah, novel concept. But as opposed to Ernst, who will put you in that trench with him. Right. Like you can you can hear the bubbling of the mud around his boots as he's taken because he's just he's very skilled. And this is a translated work from German. So if anybody wants to listen to that uh, or I read it. I thought it would be a much bigger book, too. I'm not through it by any means, but like I thought, because oh, when I opened my mailbox and pulled it out, I was like, oh, wow, this is like a lot thinner than I thought it would be. But it's still, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Excellent. Excellent. Do you got anything uh, that you want to plug before we sign off today? Uh, not particularly, no. Okay. I have a few shout-outs I would like to get through. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say hi to my boy uh, Sal the Agorist, Sal Mayweather. Uh, at Sally Mayweather, uh, he's uh, both uh, Brian and I are, uh, follow his work on uh, on Twitter. I, I do also do on Instagram. I really appreciate him. I texted him back and forth uh, just to talk to him about his audio setup, which this one will get better, by the way. I have a mixer coming, and Brian and I are going to sound far better, and we're not going to piss off our sound lady so bad that she leaves, yeah. which is what she did. She went on strike today. We're going to try to renegotiate the contract. Uh, I'd also like to uh, bring to everybody's attention that we have an email address. It's useguysandthat at gmail.com. That's Y-O-U-S-E, guys, G-U-Y-S, and that at gmail.com. It's one word. Uh, we have a Twitter account, which is useguys and all that podcast at useguyspod. So feel free to give us a follow. We are on Podbean. We are also on iTunes. And uh, it's pending approval for the iHeartRadio app. Uh, we just submitted that. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. So this was just about two hours. So, wow, really? Yeah, yeah, it went by fast. Yeah, it's effortless. That's crazy. Yeah, so <laughs> next time we get together, we'll have a mixer. We'll have, some, uh, we'll have a different setup and hopefully a really, really good sound. So thank you very much. Uh, as soon as you give me your, uh, your Instagram or Twitter handle, I'll be able to tag you and all the shit that we're going to put up. I'll okay. put it in the show notes. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, share, share away. And I hope that anybody who, who listens, please drop us a line. Let us know what you think. Yeah, I know the audio needs work. You don't need to fucking remind me. Yeah, I already sorry. know. That's okay. We're wearing we're... headphones plugged into the mics for the first part of this. And I think we figured out that wasn't uh, such a great idea. We might have fucked it up. That's okay. We'll figure this out. This is only episode number three or four or whatever the fuck. Very low. <laughs> Very low, but we but these are bulky. These are meaty episodes. So I thank anybody who listens. Uh, again, it's uh, useguysandthat at gmail.com and useguyspod on Twitter. And it's heyuseguys on Instagram. So thanks, everybody. I'd like to thank my co-host, Brian. Uh, really a pleasure. Looking forward to doing far more of these with you. Oh, yeah, um, it's been great. I, uh, hopefully people put up with listening to me. <laughs> I'm sure they will. So thanks, everybody. And... Uh, 
Excellent. Glad to have you. Glad to have you going forward. So thanks, everybody. And remember, every day is always a beautiful day for a revolution. Thank you.